This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Natalie Nazario is a Puerto Rican professional rock sharky dancer, teacher, choreographer, and producer specializing in Egyptian Oriental dance. And she was based in New York City, but we're talking to Natalie from Puerto Rico now. Yes. I'm jealous because I can only imagine the amazing tropical fruit you're able to eat. (laughs) So Natalie is the founder of Rox El Zahra Company. Her group is the result of great inspiration received from her travels through the Middle East, which we're going to talk more about, as well as from her personal experiences that resonate and connect between her dancers and the audience. She's done so much, and she's a lot of fun. Before we begin this interview, I want to share something else very special with you. It's a dream I have. I want every belly dancer who listens to podcasts in English to listen to this podcast. So I need your help. I need you to write a review. A five-star review would be awesome. I read and celebrate every single review. Amanda Hart of Kansas wrote this review. I really enjoyed this podcast. I love all the different tips, and Alicia has wonderful guests on the show. After I read her review, I researched Amanda and then invited her to be on the show. She's fabulous, of course. I'm asking you to pause right now. Scroll down in the podcast app you're using and leave a review for this podcast. Then it will be easier for other dancers to start listening to this podcast too. Before people listen, they look at the reviews, right? Thank you for helping other dancers find this podcast. I'm so grateful. Please write a review. Let's jump right in. Natalie, you have a background in jazz and hip hop, and I can see that come through some of your fun shabby choreographies. Do you have any tips for making shabby performances look more authentic? For sure. And before I respond to this question, I really want to say thank you for inviting me and oh. being the interview in this podcast. And I'm really, really happy and already so excited to share this time with you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you for being here. Okay, well, of course, I think Xavi or Maraganat, which many people knows also with these different types of Xavi, the hip hop influence is very present. I always try to explain to the dancers or to my students that there are two different styles of Xavi, the traditional and then the Maraganat. So this is something very important to make it a little bit more authentic because once you identify your music or even just the period where that music was made, then you can start selecting specific movements and even the costume. So this is very, very important for me every time that I select a piece of music to try to go a little bit more deep. And then that definitely is going to give me the authenticity of the style. Some of the costumes I saw your dancers wearing and you were blue jeans, tank top, and a cute headband with a bow on it. Yes, that's correct. That was actually Mahraganat. Probably was one of the modern songs that 
people listen right now in Cairo. So it is a little bit more fun and with that inspiration of hip hop. So that's why I wanted to use the costume, that specific style, what we know as Mahraganat. And Mahraganat is more electronic, right? The original like 1970s, 1980s shabi was no electronic Maybe they had keyboards. I don't know. Do you remember? Well, so yes, with the Mahraganat, it came more popular after the revolution in 2011, if I'm right. So after that, people just wanted to make music. So they wanted to talk about all the difficulties that they were having. But in this period of time, they were not able to pay for real musicians. So then they start making music from the computer. That's why we listen a lot of electronic sounds compared with traditional, because with the traditional music in Xavi, they were using more like live music. They were recording real instruments. That's the big difference from the Xavi, traditional Xavi or Mahraganat. At least this is the way that I try to call it. So I can really separate both of them. Interesting. Great. And I also see that you've been visiting Egypt since 2015 to learn about the culture and modern life of Egyptian people in a deeper way, and that you've been learning Egyptian colloquial Arabic, which is fantastic. How has this helped you connect on a deeper level with belly dance? I think Egypt for each belly dancer is a big dream, at least for me. I was always dreaming to be there and by reading, seeing uh, movies or documentaries or even just by listening experience from other dancers already start building something very special in myself. And I remember the first time that I visited Egypt, I was having many emotions. I was having a very difficult time in my life and all of that. And Egypt received me and hugged me and welcomed me very warmly. It changed my mood, my state. I always wanted to go there. I was feeling like in a dream, like in a movie. Then after a couple of days, I was realizing, wow, I'm here. And then after that, I want to go again and talk with people. Because the first time that I went there, it was because I won a belly dance competition, New York, Cairo. So the second place was to take a festival in Egypt. So it was destiny also <laughs> that take me there. And then after that, I wanted to always go back. And I already feel that Egypt is like my third home. Nice. I went to Egypt when I was younger, total tourist, see the pyramids, all that stuff. And it was beautiful. And I'd love to go back, travel. We will travel again. We will travel again. Yes. I actually planning to travel very soon. And the first place that I want to travel is Egypt. Now, what is one of your favorite colloquial Arabic phrases that you love to use in Egypt? The first one is a yalla, yalla bina. This is so Egyptian. A mishmunking, mishmunking. This one is, I cannot believe it. Every time that someone tell me like a good meal, people react like that. <gasps> Wallahi, like, oh my God, mishmunking. I cannot believe it. It is a surprise expression. I want to practice it. This is just like a yeah, like a yeah. Mm -hmm. Yalla, yalla, yalla. Yalla. Yalla bina. Like, let's go. Yalla bina. Yalla. And what was the, I can't believe it? What was that phrase? Mish munkin. Mish munkin. 
ايوه ايوه مش ممكن ايوه مش ممكن ايوه kind of like and saying yes yes good because you hear people say that in songs ايوه uh, right أيوة. they say it actually means yes also it means approval of doing something like for example someone is dancing and then you are like yes do it stuff like that so in Egypt if someone is dancing i will say ايوه ايوه يلا especially in baladi style in the baladi music shabi music you will listen this because that period of time understanding language a little bit and understanding different periods of time the language is changing all the time and it's from the 70s 80s 90s there have been many new words that in the golden era were not used exactly the same you know like the same words or even the same pronunciation it's very interesting i also see you were in a show with the famous alba fajita yes i am not familiar with this performer where are they from they are from egypt it is a puppet and it's very famous in Egypt. I got this opportunity. Hey, Abla Fajita is looking for belly dancers that speak Egyptian Arabic. Then when I started doing research, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. <laughs> I used to research puppets in India and Indonesia because I love how many different messages that you can communicate with puppets that you can't with people. social messages about health and politics and I'm a puppet nerd. So this is when Alba Fajita came to New York City and it was at the Apollo Theater, right? Yes, it was amazing because I was just performing for Arabs. That theater, there were about 2000 people performing for Arabs with a huge Egyptian production, dancing and also speaking Egyptian Arabic it was just like wow. I was not able to sleep the week before because I was just trying to study and dance because I wanted to give my best. And after that, I got many other opportunities. They even took the show to LA, to Los Angeles, and they took me with them also. So I did perform with them also in Los Angeles. It was very challenging. I was very nervous. I think in America, we are used to perform for Americans, maybe for a small community of Arabs. But when you have audience full of them, no 100, 200, no, no, 2000, it's like a dream. When you have been all your life doing belly dance and then having this opportunity, because once you know your audience, you can know how to connect with them. They speak Arabic. They have been growing with that culture it is different the way that you connect and even the way that the audience will react to your show right because there is a lot more verbalization from an arabic audience right like they make sounds when you yes. dance right yes and this is the way that they are connecting with you all the time i love these old um kaltum recordings where you'll hear someone just screaming almost randomly but it's because they <laughs> like that part of the song i guess i don't know and it's just so funny how much shouting there is at these concerts with an orchestra it must have been such an amazing experience yes i did two tours in japan and i was performing for probably 300 people in Japan big theater beautiful everything and they did not clap oh and it was so quiet 
And I was just <gasps> that they don't like my performance. I think this is not going well. I was giving my best. Nothing happened. This was one of my first time performing for that audience. But then people explain me, no, no, no. They love it. And even after <laughs> that, people came to me, took photos. They brought me flowers. I cannot believe this. How culture and people are so different in the way that they react. It's very interesting. What's it like belly dancing in Puerto Rico? Actually, it is a little bit similar with Egyptian people. Maybe they will not interrupt. They will not say something exactly in the middle of your performance. But if a specific section in your piece, the music goes very excited, they probably will start clapping or saying things. But then at the end, they will be very excited. But the Egyptians, no. The Egyptians, they could even start from the beginning saying, oh, oh, Lord, oh, you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> even slowly, you know. But yeah, it is different. When I perform in Puerto Rico, New York, or even Egypt, I dance completely different. I don't know. Mm -hmm. There is something in the environment, in the energy, with the people. I do not dance same. Before from the pandemic, I was performing a lot here in Puerto Rico or New York or Egypt. And every time that I was checking my videos, I used the same song, but I dance completely different because every audience will demand something different. Well, it shows that you're very connected to your audience. Yeah. 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 I dance very differently depending on what kind of floor I'm on. Sometimes I'm dancing on wood chips or around a fire pit or on a picnic table or like in the woods. I do a lot more dancing around fire in bars and in strange places more so than in theaters. So the main thing that dictates how I dance is what floor I'm on. No. <laughs> Funny. So Natalie, your motto is, I write my life with every dance movement. And as I perform, I dance my past, present, and future to come. Do you have a danceable ritual related to that? Danceable ritual. Every time that I wake up, I try to start first with my breathing and I'm being a little bit more present and conscious about that. And right away, I start moving my body naturally with the background sounds. Like for example, if there are birds, I start awaking my body with movements with sounds from the life. If a car pass having a specific sound, I will move with that. Or if someone start talking, I start getting that as well. And that makes me start moving with the world, with the people, with the energy that is around me. And this is one of the ways that I like to start my day. I actually started doing this more during the pandemic. I was doing this before once in a while, but then when the pandemic started, I was doing that every day. And that reminds me where my movement should come. It doesn't matter how much technique I know, I always need to go back to what is natural will fill my body. Wow. And during the pandemic, you could hear birds so much more than I've ever heard in my life, right? Were the birds louder for you too? 
Actually, for that time, I was in New York, Ah, you know, during March 2020. And this was very challenging for me, actually. I was listening just the sirens from the ambulance, and yeah. I started dancing to that, too. And I started wow. crying. Every day was completely different. And it was always sirens or it was a lot of traffic. There were sometimes birds. It will depend also in the time that I was waking up. But for that time during the pandemic, when I decided to start doing this again, I never will imagine that I will start moving my body through the sirens of the ambulance. After that, it was a really nice experience. Then I decided to come back to Puerto Rico. And here I started listening to the birds. And that's really comes. And I noticed that I was dancing even more from inside out. Wow. Because you were so present too. I meditate in the morning. I'm really proud of myself. I've meditated for over 400 days in a row. I didn't think I could do that, especially with two small children, but it's possible. (gasps) Starting the day with breath and becoming aware of your own breath and the sounds around you and the way the sheets feel. And I dance when I get out of bed too, just a little bit. I don't dance to the sounds of the birds and the cars though. You're totally inspiring me. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. People think that if I start dancing in the first thing in the day, maybe it is not going to be possible. But I actually started doing it one minute. Then I increased it to three. But then I was so into it that I increased it to five. <laughs> and then nice. the longest that I was doing this it was for 10 minutes. But it was also because my body Sundays wanted to do it longer, but I noticed that even one minute can completely change everything. Even Mm -hmm. if I was just raising my arm very slowly for one minute, it makes me connect right away with who I am, with what I like to do, especially because my career is dance. So movement is very important for me. That was beautiful. All right, now we're going to something completely different here. (laughs) Tell us about your time as Selena Gomez's stunt double in 2008. Uh, This was an incredible experience. I also studied theater and I wanted to be an actress. But, you know, for that, you need to talk a lot and you need to speak in front of the camera, especially in English. So I decided to continue with dance because my body language is even better than the way that I speak. I can speak better with my body. While I was in the theater community here in Puerto Rico, they were looking for someone who could be the stone double of Selena Gomez. And I did two movies with her. And that gave me an incredible experience because a person was training me for land in a specific pose. It was kind of like a choreography. And this movie was a Wizard of Waverly Place. In this movie, I need to jump from 20 feet high to the water. <laughs> and I did. Wow. It was amazing. And I got the opportunity to meet her. She was so nice. And that time she was not so famous that she is right now so yeah it was really nice to do something different and be able to work for disney channel i have featured casey chai and brenna crowley of belly queen 
And it seems like such an amazing community of artists. What are some of your most memorable takeaways from the Belly Queen teacher training certification? Okay, she's someone who has amazing communication skills. And I was working with Belly Queen for four years. And honestly, it was one of my best memories from New York. And I believe that I grow a lot with her. The first time that I did the teacher training with her, my English was not really good. <laughs> so I have some challenge with that. But I noticed that body language and connection with your students is very important. And there are many things that she covers, history, rhythms, which is important, but there is something beyond the knowledge that you have that is the way that you present to your students. And I think for this certification, you really need to be able to explain to completely different people, like from someone who started for the first time or someone who have five years of experience or even your mom. Can you believe it? Your mom in your class, how you are going to teach them. It is very important how you communicate. And I'm still learning, I'm still growing, but I'm very grateful that Keishi created this t-shirt training. And this is a great tool that I completely recommend to everyone. Even if you don't want to be a teacher, I highly recommend it. Your body language with your class. That's a great point. Don't always think about those kinds of things. Wonderful. I visited your website, www.natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, dash, you know, there's a hyphen there, Nazario, N-A-Z-A-R-I-O.com, natalienazario.com, and saw a video of the Rox Alessandra show, which featured some of your most outstanding students. And it looked like you included a lot of different dance styles, including folkloric, haliji hair throws, shabby and blue jeans. It looked like Dahlia Carella's company came and did some full skirt piece as well. You did the white galabeo like Fifi Abdu. The show just looked like a lot of fun. When you are producing a show, what do you want the audience to experience? How do you want them to feel? As you mentioned already, there is a lot of folklore style and a lot of culture presented with dance. I want people to first immerse in the show like they are traveling with us. I want people to enjoy what we are doing. I focus a lot with folklore style and I want people to immerse in a new culture, specifically culture in Egypt that they learn from music, from different people and from the daily life of Egypt because the dance really is talking about history and culture all together, but in a different way. And this is what I want people to see every time they are coming to my show that I'm taking them in a short trip to Egypt. However, with my perspective as an American or Puerto Rican from a small island <laughs> traveling all the way there, this is what I want them to see a little bit of how the dance making me love it so much. I want them also see dedication <laughs> And a lot of work because the dancers who are in my company, Raxal Sahra, I want the audience to see also all the effort that they put because this is not just that, oh, they learn a choreography and they perform. No, no, no. There is so much behind. I try to guide dancers 
who are part of my show, to read articles, to see documentaries, translate the music, and even develop a connection between each of the dancers that make them able to perform as they are one. I think that the audience already seen this. That's the reason we are already seven years audience is making possible that we are continuing performing together. Nice. Immersing the audience, connecting your dancers to each other. It's beautiful. Now it's time for some music. Danceable song. Is there a danceable song you'd like to share? I actually was looking through your playlist. It's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) There are many songs that I love it. You have such a great diversity. You know, there is so much diversity there in the playlist. I even saw like a Spanish song and I was very tentative to pick that. But I actually wanted to choose this song, Nasen Alayne El Hawa. Because I'm actually using this song in my classes these days, and I'm enjoying a lot. Can you tell us what you like about the song? This song is a Lebanese composition. And even though I'm super in love with Egyptian style, the first time that I hear a version of this song, I thought that it was Egyptian. This is why it's so important to understand and trying to look a little bit more. And I remember when I started looking like, wow, it's Egyptian. I'm going to be performing and I feel it. I feel connected. Then when I was looking about the lyrics, which the lyrics are amazing, it's a little bit of longing about a country wanted to go back to your country to feel the breeze of your country to see the fish swimming in the water it is a beautiful song but the singer is was Feirouz the Lebanese singer and then the song that I was listening for the first time there was an Egyptian singer performing it so honestly I was just like, wow, the instruments were playing differently. The energy of the song, I was thinking that it was Egyptian. Of course, the Egyptian dialect of this singer, it was very present. It is not the same way that probably Feirouz is going to sing their accent, the pronunciation of each word. So it's just very interesting. And this is the same thing that happens when you dance. You know, there is Lebanese style, Turkish style, or Egyptian style. And you will recognize that when someone is performing, the movements, the energy, their weight, you will know if they do more like Egyptian or Lebanese, Turkish, or even American style. In a previous episode with an American dancer, They were talking about the projection of energy on stage of the dancer and how that is one of those things that can make more Egyptian dance look very different than more Lebanese dance styles. And it was Kamra that was talking about it. I think you're talking about that as well a little bit. And it's so funny, but in show 60, Amanda Hart picked the same song you're talking about sung by Farouz. And it was beautiful because both of you had different things to say about it, but a very similar sentiment. So that's wonderful that we have two different dancers talking about why they love this song. It's a beautiful song. When she's singing, take me home, take me home, something like that, right? 
for it. Yes. First, I was falling in love with the Egyptian version because of the instrument, the way that Egyptians play the tabla nowadays is completely different the way they do it in Lebanon. And I always dance with a lot of energy. I'm very dynamic in my performances. So that's why I feel very connected with that kind of energy. So I continue working on this song, but with the Egyptian version. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. So not the Firuz version, but an Egyptian version. Okay. I am going to ask you more about the fantastic Food Market dance video that you released in April 2021. But first, I've had trouble with YouTube silencing my videos because I'm choosing music that I don't know if the artists have chosen to silence, but your music in the video is heard and you have copyright credits in the description of the video. Do you have any tips for figuring out which songs you can use on YouTube? Well, nowadays, they give you the option to give credit to the artist or the music company. And lucky, they approve the video. (laughs) Because I was having problems exactly with the beginning of the song. And this is from Hollywood Music Center. And they were taking a couple days to review the video, to check if they like what they see or if the music will represent what you are sharing. You know, there are many different requirements, I guess, for them to decide if they want you to do it or not. But in this case, they approve. But then they said to me, you can use our song, but every time that your video is play, you need to pay us. I think it's like three cents, something like that. I was like, oh, okay, that's a great deal for them. And I invest a lot, to be honest. Nowadays, it's becoming even more important to know if they will approve or not. After investing a lot of money, they can say, no, I'm sorry, you cannot share your video. But what I did, I select unlisted with their son, and I knew what they will ask me if I can use the song or not. So I took a small risk. Right, because it's a very produced video. You have actors in it, you have a set, you have great lighting and videographers. It looks fantastic. So you had to just take that risk and choose the song and make the video and then upload it as unlisted and see if they would approve it. Yes. I actually performed it in the past, a song, Zay El Hawa, from Abdel Halim. And I did a live performance in Egypt. And, can you, and they never allowed me to upload the video. And I was so surprised because this was not a recorded song. It was live music with many <laughs> musicians. So it's never is going going to sound sane but I don't know maybe because they were Egyptians but (laughs) they never allow me and I still have been not able to share that I uploaded a video with the soundtrack as our band playing La Mabada, which is hilarious that anybody claims that they created La Mabada since it was written in the 14th or 15th century. I'm like, why is there a copyright claim against my band playing La Mabada? It's a very interesting set of challenges with picking music for YouTube videos. I actually understand that a little bit because I'm a choreographer and someone wants to perform my piece 
And I want them to do it nicely, maybe not perfect, but at least something that it represents my name good, right? But sometimes you don't have control of that. And I guess this is the situation with music. Some people are very picky and they just do not want you to use their song because maybe the meaning of the song will interpret it completely different with your performance. I don't know. Maybe this can be a big reason for them. And I have been thinking about that a lot because it's like, I'm making famous your song. Like <laughs> This is our exchange. But some people want to keep a specific brand or idea or concept that they just completely say, no, I don't want representation with that. Mahraganat performance that I did, it is bounded in Egypt, just in Egypt. <laughs> and you can see it everywhere, but if you are in Egypt, you cannot see that performance. Let's do some dancing. Damn sexy dance move. What is one of your favorite belly dance moves that you can teach us to do right now? My favorite belly dance move that I like in my choreographies is the camel or the full body undulation. And it is actually because I experience that move for real. Every time that I'm teaching this movement, I always call it two ways. Camel, because in Egypt, it is more common to say this word. And here in the United States, we use it more undulation or body roll. So I try to always explain that we can call it different ways. And it is this move that you can feel most of your body and your weight. Once you place both feet completely flat in the floor, soft in your knees, and just by shifting your weight all the way to your toes, and then shift your weight all the way back to your heels, you start naturally moving your body front and back, and your entire body will start moving and feel that weight and connection also with the floor, with the earth. And once you get familiar with shifting weight, then I'm going to start the upper body and then the lower body. Then now we will keep our weight in the center. And I want you just to move the upper body all the way to the front, keeping your lower body in the center, in your home base, but then feeling again that weight on your toes. And then the same thing, upper body will go all the way back and shifting your weight in your heels and front and back. After that, now upper body will stay still and we are going to be doing that just with your hips, shifting just the lower body all the way with your toes and then to the back, all the way back to your heels, keeping your tailbone down. And feeling that sensation of moving your body, but in place, right? Then after that, once you start like moving your body front and back, I'm going to start, okay, fantastic. Upper body will go all the way to the front. Your weight is in your toes. Now we are going to switch. Upper body will go back and your hips are going to slide to the front and feeling your weight going also in your toes and in your heels. And then upper body will go front, start feeling your weight on your toes, pushing your lower back, lower body, then upper body, and then lower body all the way to your 
heels and then go back to the center. This is one of the ways that I like to explain because it's more naturally and then also very conscious about your weight. And why I explain like this way? Because when I started belly dancing in the beginning, taking a lot of classes, someone told me camel, we call this move camel because every time that you ride a camel, this is the natural move that you start doing with your body. And when I went to Egypt in 2015 and I ride the camel for the first time, after so many years, I was like, Oh my God, this is true. <laughs> Your body start moving like a camel. And then every time that I teach this, I ask, has you ever ride a camel? Because it's kind of like the way that the camels goes like step by step, slowly. But then if you really start still and then just connecting with the rhythm of the camel, your body start doing that. It is incredible, honestly. For me, it was like a eureka moment <laughs> with that move. It's kind of like your toes are the front two legs of the camel and your heels are the back two legs in a way. Yeah, and then I start doing the undulations like in the camel. And then I said, you know what? Let me go with the flow. Let me go with the weight. Because there are many ways also to engage the camel. That is also a lot with muscles. But most of the time in Egypt, for the people who are not really professional, they just do it very natural. They are not really trying to, okay, I need to engage my upper abs, lower abs. No, no, no. They will do it more naturally and more with the weight. When you start moving, this is one of the things that you need to connect first. The way you described it was so relaxing too. I felt like I was going into a little bit of Qigong, like Tai Chi. It was really nice. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. You were the star in this great video, Belladi, which you can see on Natalie's website. And you're dancing in front of a fresh fruit and vegetable stand in a market. The words on the signs are in Spanish and the actors are dressed up like they would have been in a market in Egypt. More traditional. They're not, you know, wearing the blue jeans and t-shirt. They look more distinctly <laughs> Arabic. And you were making connections between markets in Puerto Rico and markets in Cairo. And it helped me realize some of the similarities in the markets that I've been drawn to all over the world as well. The colors and the textures and the socializing and the life and the gutters full of weird liquids. You know, it's just amazing. The delight of finding what you're looking for. Tell us more about your inspiration to make this video. The inspiration of this video is to mix both Puerto Rico and Egyptian culture. I want to try to connect them. And in Puerto Rico, back in the time, the fruit vegetable market were very popular. Now everything you can get it in the supermarket, but there are still some local farmers here in Puerto Rico. There are not many, unfortunately, and they are trying to survive and they want to continue working in the land, working for the country. And being back in my country, I was appreciating even more that. And I was trying to support, to go to the local farmers and buy their vegetables, their fruits. And then when I started seeing that, I was like, you know, before I was not doing that so much when I was living here in Puerto Rico, like nine years before. But when I went to Egypt and I started traveling there, I was seeing the same thing, but 
I never get that connection, but I was supporting them as well. I was going in the street. I was buying the vegetables. I was talking by myself with my beginner Egyptian Arabic, and I wanted to connect with them. So then now that I was in Puerto Rico, I was thinking on all these memories. And then I want to talk Egyptian in one video and then let me do it in a, you know, like a marketplace. Let me support these people also. And then I spoke with the person and he loved it. And even after we have the video release. I start giving the credits and then my friends, now they want to go and buy fruits there. I was so happy that it makes a further impact that I was thinking. So putting the two cultures together and at the same time, supporting my people and supporting the Egyptian people, this was something incredible. So I wanted to do it in this market, supporting the local people here Asking all my friends, because all the people who were in the video, they were my friends. And I took all the clothes that I have, the scarf from Palestine, from Jordan, from Egypt. You know, I was having all these costumes together and I dress up all of them. They were just my friends. <laughs> and we recreated this video. And from that small idea, it became huge. Even my mom was in the video. She's the one who is <laughs> buying the fruits in the beginning. We were having even Egyptian pounds in the video. My mom was paying with the Egyptian pounds. <laughs> oh, a fun project. Yeah, it was very special. And not just even because of the dance, because of course I enjoy performing and dancing, but connecting and supporting my people, supporting the videographers here in Puerto Rico, the photographer now that Monsek is here. It was a statement as well, like, let's do work here. I want to support my people. Natalie just mentioned Monziki, and I met her outside of New York City at the Super Fun Dance Camp. She was the photographer that would come to that. So I saw Monziki in the credits. I'm like, what? Monziki's in Puerto Rico? And yep, she is. <laughs> Out of New York. Yes. I'm so lucky to have her here. She's wonderful. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? In Puerto Rico, we have something that we call hoja. De recao. This is like a culantro, or in English, it will be coriander. And this is something in your garden you can find in every corner. It's going to grow very naturally while you are cooking. Oh my God, I need hoja de recao. And then you just go to your garden and then take one leaf and cut, put it in your beans, and it gives such a great taste. And I learned this from my grandparents. They were always, oh, we are cooking. Can, Natalie, can you go and pick hojas de recao? And it was so nice always. So this is very important in my kitchen. <laughs> and of course, now that I'm fascinated with Middle East, we have this spice zatar. I love zatar. Okay, perfect. I'm so glad because this is a mix of different spices and it's very popular in Lebanon. And since I tried this, I need to have now in my kitchen all the time. I need to keep it because even with yogurt, I can put a little bit in the top or with oil. I can use that, that or sometimes even in the beans, you know, I mix it everything. It's so good. 
there was a restaurant here before run by an Egyptian and he would put it on the flatbread, like the pita. Oh my God. It was so amazing. Oh, yes. Zatar all over it. Oh That's my God. Lebanese. Oh, it's Lebanese. That's okay. All... Yes. They do that a lot in Egypt, but I find out that it is originally from Lebanon. Oh my God. Manoush. It's called Manoush. It looks like a pizza, right? Yeah. And it's oily, just like, oh, God, it's so good. You can see the little sesame seeds and taste the sumac. I love that yes. stuff. And the I love cilantro. Part, ah, cilantro, yes. Yeah. Coriander, cilantro. I love that stuff. And I had such a hard time in the grocery stores during COVID when I wanted to smell it. Because if I pick up a bunch of coriander or cilantro in the grocery store and I can't smell it, I'm not buying it because it doesn't taste like anything, you know? Like here, everything is shipped so, yeah, I love coriander that smells really good. Yeah, but there are two kinds. I think the cilantro that you mentioned is the one that this leaf is small. Yes, but small the leaves. One, the one that we have, hoja de regal, is a long sleeve. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a totally different plant. Yeah. I've seen this in the market. You... Okay, great. So it tastes similar oh. to cilantro. Yes. Awesome. I got to try that. This interview was actually recorded in June 2021. So months ago, I started looking for culantro or hoja de recao in our grocery stores in Ithaca, and I could only find it in a jar that was mixed with MSG. So that got me thinking. The way that I hear Natalie describing this, the beauty of this ingredient is that it comes from where she lives. Gardens, street corners, markets. It is a nostalgic flavor of her home that reminds her of her grandparents. So if you have a plant in your life that grows in your garden or wild that you love to sprinkle on food, please teach children how to eat it, like Natalie's grandparents taught her. Then this ingredient will be special for them too. One summer here in upstate New York, I taught our son how to eat Dame's Rockets. It's this beautiful little purple and white phlox that grows wild in the woods, and it grows in our gardens as well, and it's so special. And in the warmer months, we also have lemon hearts, chickweed, mint... Lemon balm, dandelion greens, purslane, all growing wild all around us. So many gifts. Natalie reminded me to celebrate the countless gifts that the soil around us provides even when we don't even ask for them. Oja de Recao. Let's play dress up. Make you shine, costume tip. What is one costume tip that you want to share? Never use safety pin. <laughs> Uh, you're part of the Jelena community, yes. aren't you? <laughs> oh my yep. God. Yeah, definitely. Before Jelena, I had some experience with the safety pin that once I was using one in my bra and then the bra completely opened. And of course, that was not really nice. People did not see anything because I managed good. But then after training with Jelena in some of her show, she was mentioning that very seriously. It is very important to keep your body safe because if you are using a safety pin and open, it can hurt you during your performance. Also, it can damage the costume. It is very sad because in the past, even though I have that experience and oh, that's mean I need to buy an expensive safety pin that is even better so it cannot open. I was buying like different type of safety pin. Those ones that have double head, very good quality. And when she mentioned that, I was just like, oh my God. And I was having them just in case of an emergency. But I think we spend a lot of money in costume. 
we spend a lot of time preparing ourselves, time in rehearsals, in classes and everything. And then when you have a performance and then something happens that it opens or even break your costume, that's not nice. So I think costume needs to be something that is valuable and using a safety pin is like sacrificing the costume. So there is no more safety pin in my life. <laughs> I actually interviewed Jelena a couple nights ago, and I've had several guests that have been part of Belly Dance Evolution and Belly Dance Experience. I've had several guests that have talked about how they just don't use safety pins after being in a production with Jelena. It's so cute. It's a big thing for a lot of people to be like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yes, it is something very simple, but it makes a big difference. I have one bra left that I safety pin. So every time people talk about it, I'm like, what am I going to use? Big snaps or hooks, you know, or both. (laughs) I got to fix it. I love that bra too. And I do want to keep poking holes in that beautiful handmade. She made the cups. The dancer that made the bra made the cups. To me, it's gorgeous. So I got to get those safety pins out of there. You have been a model in addition to your acting, and you've been in beauty contests. What are some of the performance skills that you got from competing in beauty pageants? It opened myself to feel more secure, talking in front of an audience, even walking. Modeling is something that you could see, oh, this is just walk. And it is not. This was very important, especially for dancers. Dance When you dedicate your life, you start training and then we start developing all these movements. Being part of beauty contest makes me think also about the way that I present myself in front of people. Even if just one person or 200, the security with the way that you look, the way you talk, the way you walk, you are carrying your personality. And this is very important in beauty contests. You need to have a lot of personality. And with dance, it makes sense also. Every time I dance, I need to share who I am. I do Egyptian style. I'm never going to be Egyptian. I'm Puerto Rican, 100%. I love Egypt, like my third home. But I'm never going to be Egyptian. I need to continue being Natalie Nazario. And a Puerto Rican who loves Egyptian culture and dance. And this is something very important that I learned in this period of my life. Always, no matter what, share who you are. Show your personality, show what you want, show your likes. When you share who you are, it will help you to connect more with people. So the way you present yourself, your confidence, your security. Yes, definitely. I see that you won the People's Choice Award at Belly Dance Evolution, speaking of Jelena, and it was actually in Australia when you won that award. What did that experience teach you about dance? Australia was one of the first time that I traveled to perform outside of United States. In the past, I was just able to perform in Puerto Rico or the British Islands or maybe in Florida, New York. That's it. But then once I have this opportunity to perform in Australia, I was like, wow, me from Puerto Rico, from a small island 
performing in the other side of the world. I wanted to let them know where I come from. And I created this tropical drum solo where I incorporated some salsa move at the end of this drum solo. And then I was doing a lot of accents with my hips, not just from belly dance, but then from salsa, you know. And then after that section, I pointed my hips and I wanted to people know, okay, yes, I do belly dance, but these hips are Puerto Rican. And then I took out from my hips Puerto Rican flat. <laughs> and then I just opened it there in the theater and then everyone was just like wow no one was expecting that and that opened many doors for me <laughs> adorable now Jelena Carlano I don't know if she has some Latin American connection at all do you know which part of Latin America if she's connected to any well she have a huge community, you know, through the South America, people loved her. She had been traveling there so much that she even speaks on uh, Spanish. And lately, she has been very connected with Mexico. One of the assistant director is from Mexico. And she feels so grateful for the support and the love from these uh, Latin countries that she even started supporting us during the pandemic times. She was doing Paso por Paso this is like step-by-step -step workshops and she was supporting different dancers from Argentina, from Mexico and she wanted to give these workshops mainly for Spanish speakers. Cool. She was talking a little bit about Paso por Paso and how great it was for her to just turn on the video camera and create something for somebody else to use and benefit from these other teachers to use with their students. And it sounded like that was liberating for her to not have to worry about whether it was perfect. Just think about giving and offering. Yeah, there were some special workshops and then there were some classes, but those classes was mainly for supporting schools around the world. And amazed about how Jelena is still giving and teaching us, you know, the calibre, I don't know how to say this word in English, how a dancer should be, how complete you could be with your talent with your directions, with your productions, how you can support your community. It's just incredible. I'm always learning a lot from her. I admire, I respect a lot. And I think she's very important, not just as a dancer, but also as a role model in our belly dance community around the world. Yeah, I only hear amazing things about Jelena, which is <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Feel good. Look good, Habit. Do you have a feel-good, look-good habit that you'd like to share? When I'm taking a shower, I need to have completely cold water over my body. With the cold water, I feel that I'm cleaning deeper, that I'm refreshing, feeling younger every time I feel cold water. Over my entire body, face, everything, hair, I love this. <laughs> I lived in Thailand for two years and I didn't have hot water. And honestly, I think it's better for my hair and skin to have cold water. Definitely. I, yeah. And I think my mother-in-law has been doing this too, where she turns it cold right at the end and just goes, wow. <laughs> when I'm too hot, I do it in the beginning or even just take the full shower. 
But it depends, especially here in Puerto Rico, I have been doing that pretty frequently that I took the entire shower with cold water, that I probably was not doing that in the past. And I noticed that I feel good and even my skin looks good and different. I think there's something there. A lot of countries where people look younger, longer, I think there's more cold water being used. (laughs) Tell us about something exciting that you have coming up. There are a couple good things coming. I think this pandemic make us grow and innovate completely. And one of the things is a live show with my company, Raxel Sahra. For the first time, I'm having my show in Puerto Rico. So I'm so excited that all the dancers are going to come to my country. We are going to be performing here all together. And I'm going to be able to share what I have been doing for the past six years in New York, but then now being able to bring all of them here. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, I expand my company. So now I have Rexel Sahra dancers who are based in New York City. But then also I have dancers from different continents. So this is Rexel Sahra International from different countries and they will come to Puerto Rico. So this is another big step as an artistic director and producer. Awesome. Natalie, it has really been a pleasure to talk to you and just hear how much you love your surroundings and how much you love Egypt and the way that you describe more natural movements. It's been a really wonderful conversation with you. Thank you so much. And I am very excited to see how it feels and how the show goes when Raxal Sara gets to go to Puerto Rico and rock that. That will be so much fun to watch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for making me feel welcome and for doing this job. It is very important for our community to know more from the dancers that you are having the opportunity to interview. I think we all have been learning a lot by listening to interviews. So this is a great contribution, what you are doing. Thank you, Natalie. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter. <laughs>